live, uh, as you can see, I am not Car Young Tom. Uh, KYT is sick today, so I'll be taking over the the MC duties of, of the podcast today. Uh, we have Keith Capstick with us today off of a, a great finish with uh, his deck at GP Seattle. And we have Derek with us, as usual, to talk to us about all the crazy things that he thinks. And so... Uh, <laughs> Just to start the episode, uh, I just want to briefly mention our sponsor, uh, face-to-facegames.com, the best place in uh, Canadian Magic to get your singles, and uh, a lot of good articles through the other website there, too. But it's great for singles, and they have a a lot of other products as well. And also the First Strike Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash first strike. So the reason we brought you in, Keith, is... uh, you just came off of a really good finish at GP Seattle. A bit of a heartbreaker. Some congrats slash condolences. Yeah. And uh, you were playing uh, four-color control at, at the tournament. Uh, wh- why did you play that deck? In a, so why did you choose that deck over some of the Delver variants, for example? All right. So uh, basically, I worked with uh, Edgar Magalhaes, who's obviously been on the show before. Uh, for a few weeks prior to the event. And uh, we both decided pretty early that we didn't want to play Delver, despite acknowledging that it was probably the best choice and definitely the best deck. Uh, So we set out uh, to play four color, like we've both been playing since Eternal Weekend, Um, mostly because we thought if we built the deck right, we could have a good Delver matchup and get to play the kind of magic we wanted to play. Um, So that's, that's kind of where we started. Uh, we ended up on fairly similar 75s, and uh, this is just like kind of the kind of magic I want to play in every format, and I wasn't super comfortable playing Delver Mirrors for two days, so this is where I ended up. Uh, the The list went through a lot of iterations, but I think I think I ended up on something good, and uh, it worked out at least until the 15th round. Yeah, so, so I just wanted to ask, uh, what are your thoughts on the format of Legacy as a whole? We don't always have a lot of uh, legacy experts on the cast like we have uh, matt dilks come on sometimes and edgar's experience in legacy but we always appreciate uh, some some experts in the format so what are your thoughts on the format as a whole like what's good and any changes that you think need to be made or not made um well i mean i'll certainly do my best to uh to keep up with experts like dilks but uh basically my my opinion is that Legacy is the most fun format to play in Magic. I know maybe that's a hot take, but uh, yeah, I, I when I like, I'm like typically a pretty you know competitive player, but uh, when I'm trying to have a good time, Legacy is the format I choose. And I think uh, I think the hot button issue in Legacy right now is the legality of Deathrite Shaman, and uh, that's a big reason why I like Legacy. I think uh, I think Deathrite Shaman does a lot to to keep things in check. And uh, that's what those are the decks that I gravitate towards. So basically, my thoughts on Legacy right now is that Delver's good, Control's good. There are like combo decks that are good, although they do get held in check by uh, by Deathrite Shaman and, and Delver. And uh, lands when piloted by an experienced player is obviously very powerful as well. Uh, so I, I do think it's a, a format you can attack. Like one thing that you 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 notice from the get go when you start testing for Legacy is that it's a format that's largely untouched by pros. So you try something the first week and it works and you're like, wow, 
this is, I'm not used to this in modern, like I'm not used to this in standard, all of the things that, you know, have, can be found out, have already been found out. But in legacy, if you have something you want to try or something to experiment with, like you can actually break it or, you know, come up with the best sideboard plan. Uh, because like, honestly, it's just not really touched outside of, uh, you know, a select few of people. Okay. So, um, I saw Edgar's list on Twitter and I noticed that he wasn't running any force of wills. Do you think he's crazy or do you think he's a genius? Well, I mean, I think basically he's just has more courage than me. You know, uh, I, <laughs> I play, we, we, we both like experimented with the zero force of will thing. Basically, if you, I mean, for people who don't play legacy, if you look at the top eight decks of, of the, uh, of the GP, I would say seven of those decks, you could, Maybe maybe even eight, you could justify not like taking Force of Will out after board. Like you simply just don't want Force in Delver Mirrors, and you simply don't want Force as four color against Delver. Uh, so much of the format, you end up boarding out Force of Will that it, it almost feels like a liability to having your main deck. And I, that's where Edgar Edgar landed at. We both felt like him to Turok was the better card against like the storms of the format and that kind of thing. Now that being said. Uh, Prior to the GP, uh, Mono Red Prison and Black Red Reanimator, Turbo Depths, Tin Fins, like there were some Gristlebrand strategies that uh, that were, you know, obviously scary if you didn't put Force Will in your deck. So I, I decided to hedge and it, I actually got paid off massively because I played against a lot of combo. And I think I definitely wouldn't have had the run I did if I did not Force Will in my deck. But I also think that Edgar's approach to the format is viable especially on a local level like if you know that your metagame is going to be all fair decks then i would 100 percent not run force will but i don't know it it, <laughs> it takes some real courage to play to play 15 rounds without force will in your blue deck and legacy so yeah it's it's one of those things where uh from my point of view it seems like a crazy thing to do but at the same time like against the like when the cream rises to the top those are the kind of decks that you don't actually want force will in your deck it, it it feels bizarre to say it, but it might be time to like cut down on them because of just the mass amount of Delver decks. Yeah, I mean that's why I ended up on three. Uh, it's kind of a weird number, but basically I went back prior to the GP and did some reading uh, back when uh, Jerry Thompson was first working on uh, Shardless Bug. Like when he first built the deck, he wrote a few articles about um, you know why he had he tried Force Wheels in, in the sideboard. Why like he, he, he tried Force he tried four Force Wheels, three Force Wheels, and so I ended up on three. I mean, it's kind of a random number, but it just kind of worked out with the disruption I wanted to play. I wanted to play Thoughtseize, and uh, I wanted to have access to at least three hymns after board, so I ended up with three three forces, and uh, <laughs> I honestly wouldn't change a card in my deck list, so I was pretty happy with everything. Wow, it's it's always a good feeling after like a, a pretty big tournament to feel like you wouldn't change a card in your deck list. Yeah, yeah, it's cer- certainly a good feeling. <laughs> I, like, I honestly, I, I, I wish that... I wish I had a had an update, and I'll probably uh, I'll probably write something for Manor Prime later this week about about the deck. But I mean, honestly, if 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 Legacy doesn't get touched, I'd probably play a similar deck. Uh, yeah, especially the blue blasts. I played me, me and Edgar both played multiple blue blasts in our sideboards, and that was an all star for me all week. So that that's like something that I think is a little bit abnormal having multiple blue blasts in your sideboard, and uh, I was pretty happy with 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 how that panned out for me. So uh, 
Legacy is an interesting format where uh, we don't see it that often, and a lot of uh, cool, interesting things happen. Uh, I per- I just really wanted to ask you if you have any standout stories or plays that you made or saw someone make this weekend that stand out to you that kind of show off what Legacy is all about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I got I got two for you right off the top of my head, and they were both in my final stretch run of uh, of trying to make top eight. So uh, in uh, I think around. 12, I got paired against, maybe around 13, I got paired against uh, Monored Prison. And uh, I won game one, and he won game two. And then uh, game three, I mulled the four on the draw. <laughs> and he he played turn one, Trinisphere, into turn two, Chalice. And I beat him with a Jace ultimate on, like, turn 40. And it was, quite honestly, one of the most surprising games of my life. Because I was, like, very... Uh, like I said earlier, like I'm just a very competitive person. And at that point, like I, I was like, really like, I'm going to top eight this tournament. And, uh, <laughs> I just like, I don't know what happened. Like he played, a he, 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 uh, he fiery confluence my Leovold and I just slammed Jace and just started plussing and just hoped. I was just like, I drew a him to Turak to like, to fit, to empty his hand. And I just plus Jace into oblivion and hoped. And then uh, my next story, I guess, was the next round. I played a, a, a full hour-long match that went to time against uh, the Bant Blade deck. So it's like a true name nemesis, Stoneforge Mystic, uh, Noble Hierarch, Deathrite Shaman deck that like kind of accelerates out uh, threats and like gets to play days and that kind of thing. Uh, so against that deck in game three... Uh, I kept a double death rate, one land hand with a cantrip and he played three wastelands in the first maybe 10 turns. And I was on double death rate as my only mana sources. And that game ended with me diabolic eating, edicting a Gideon ally of Zendikar with a batter skull attached to it. So, uh, those are, those are my two like round 13, 14 wins that, uh, I just never thought I could win. So, uh, it was a pretty exciting way to uh to give myself a shot and those are just like kind of the plays that that happen in legacy sometimes like you play with such powerful cards that sometimes like you just get to do sweet things so yeah those are my stories yeah it is it's got to be like a roller coaster to like go through those two rounds and then lose the last one you're just like have no no rhyme or reason to be in these games yeah. and you win these absurd games and then you just lose to grixis delver in the win <laughs> yeah yeah i love the the grixis match wasn't even that exciting like i like obviously noah might be the best legacy player on the planet and uh he played extremely well but like they were just kind of normal grixis matchups i try to stabilize he had a bolt like you know that's how it goes but uh yeah the the last two were uh were great yeah, he's yeah. Noah Walker is just insane with that deck and insane at Legacy. That guy, that guy's really good at Magic. Yeah, I mean, I I know it's a I know it's a pretty strong statement, but that guy, like every single time there's a Legacy, like obviously not everyone pays attention to the Legacy events, but like every time there's a major Legacy event, Noah Walker's in top eight with Greg Stelber. Like it's it's absurd the way that guy wins. So I mean, yeah, he's definitely up there. So uh, you said you wouldn't make any changes to your list. So you think its configuration as is, is, is what you would run. But what do you think the matchups for the deck are? Like, if why, when and why should people take uh, your deck to their tournaments? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I think that if you want to have fun, you should definitely play this deck because Baleful Strix is the most fun card in Legacy, in my opinion, for me. 
Um, I think you have, you, like, just like any other mid-range decks, you have, like, a variety of positive matchups. Like, you're the 51, 53% deck. Um, you get to play a lot of close games where your decisions matter a lot. Uh, I think your good matchups are Delver. Uh, you know, for the most part, like you got to play tight, but but I think that you are favored overall against Delver. I think uh, I think uh, you're good. At, like you're definitely a good deck against Death and Taxes. That's like a pairing you want to see. Like anything with creatures are are the real pairings that you want to see. Like the Infects and the Delvers of the world. Uh, I've had a lot of success beating Storm. Uh, there was like actually one of the, the the first reasons that me and Edgar or Edgar first uh, took Force out of the deck. And we experimented without playing forces because we were beating Storm, which was, you know, a positive because anytime you, you know, you're not playing Delver Secrets and you're playing a slower strategy, you think that, you know, maybe Storm could be tough. But I, I actually have had a, a reasonable amount of success beating that. So, like, I think if, if you're trying to beat Delver uh, and you're trying to, uh, to win, win at Fair Magic, like, this is the way to do it. Uh, as far as pairings I don't want to see is definitely Sneak and Show first and Land second. Uh, maybe elves as well. Like elves is a creature deck, but they they have the a way like they have their ways of invalidating your removal spells with uh, elvish visionary and wirewood symbiote. So that can be tough as well. So yeah, especially lands path, piloted by Matthew Dilks. That's that's what you do not want to see on the pairing sheet. So 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 another question about GP Seattle is if you didn't day two with Legacy, what standard deck would you have played? Oh, I would have played blue black mid range and gotten crushed by that amazing blue red God Pharaoh's gift deck that was just broken. Uh, like I, I, I've like played I played a fair bit of standard, but uh, and that would have been the deck that I played. But my God, that was a, just a a dominating showing. It was pretty exciting actually. This deep into a format after bannings and all that kind of stuff, it's just sweet to see like another innovation. Shows that like there's a lot of health in standard. So, uh, Derek, do you have any remarks about uh, about Legacy? Yeah, Derek, please tell us. Okay. Um, I found it interesting that the three cards that were different in Edgar's list were Kolagon's Command, the fourth Kolagon's Command, the fourth Snapcaster Mage, and he main decked a Pyroblast, and then yeah. had an additional Pyroblast and Red Elemental Bast on the board. Um, yeah. Do you think that those three cards are a good replacement for um, Force of Will? And why would you like why specifically those three cards did you remove compared to like the second Jace or the second hymn or the second Thought Seize or like even the first bolt? Like Right. Um well specifically in the case of the first bolt, if you'll notice the card Mirren Crusader is basically has protection from our deck. So uh having a lightning bolt in your deck is pretty important to kill that. Uh other than that, like I d- in my opinion, and like just talking to Edgar with it about it, like uh, my my like stance on this deck is that I've always wanted it to be as efficient as possible, given you're playing very expensive cards for Legacy. Like it's it's just very hard to cast uh, Coligan's Command every game without getting dazed into oblivion and. By putting Force of Will in your deck, even though it's a two-for-one, th- there are still situations where you get to play on the uh, p- play on the, play on the efficiency of having a zero mana card in your deck. Uh, so I guess the reason why uh, Edgar chose to build his deck the way he did 
was because he wanted to have more redundancy. Like he wanted to be able to, to have that snapcaster loop every game. And the power blast was a concession to the fact that he didn't have force will like he, you need to fight counter wars in game one. And he wasn't really well equipped to do that. So why not main deck your trump card, which is power blast. So I think the power blast obviously made a lot of sense without force will. And I think the Colgan's command and snapcaster mage were simply there as a way to allow his deck to do the same thing as often as possible. I, uh, I noticed I was looking through four color control decks on goldfish. And I noticed that some of them, most recently, the ones that are playing in the Legacy Challenge, are playing a one of Liliana the Veil. Um, both of you had two Lily the Last Hope in your sideboard, but no Veil. Is there any specific reason why? Um, well, we both don't like Liliana the Veil at all in this deck, because uh, I just don't think that you... I, I don't think that Snapcaster Mage and Liliana the Veil belong in the same deck. Like, uh, the this deck really just wants to have five cards in its hand at all times. And Liliana is like trying to get you on no resources. It's just like a counterintuitive thing. I think the reasoning for that is Diabolic Edict is a very like sort of unassuming card. Like uh, it, it, it feels weird to put straight up Edict in your legacy deck. There's so many powerful cards that we're playing with in this format. And it just looks odd when you look at your deck list. And I think that's where like a lot of people arrive at Liliana of the Veil. They're like, oh, I can pay one more mana for this super powerful card and I'll get a Diabolic Edict out of it. But it's just simply not the same thing. And it, it doesn't operate on the same axis, doesn't combo with Snapcaster Mage, and it doesn't like forward your game plan in a way that's like redundant and consistent. So I think that's why we ended there. We're both really high on Liliana of the Last Hope. Like, uh, I thought... Uh, I worked on uh, some like a number of different things going into the tournament, like for creature decks, because obviously we have three cards on our sideboard for creature decks, the two Last Hopes and the Toxic Deluge. And uh, I was a little concerned about having all those cards be three mana when a lot of the creature creature decks that you're playing, like Death and Taxes, are like Port Wasteland decks, uh, as well as Stalia decks. But I think Liliana is just so good in the mirror. It's a card that you bring in against Delver as well. The thing about Legacy that I think that uh, you know people are really starting to catch on to is that uh, permanents that are not blue or red after board are just super powerful. Like, I, it is so hard to get Liliana the Last Hope off the board in the mirror. You could virtually cast it and plus it for the rest of the game, and unless they can resolve something to attack it, you could just alt. It, it, it's like, because everything is so efficient in this format, uh, you really get taxed when you know, someone puts a Gideon Alex of Zendikar into play or like an Obnixilus Reignited. Like these cards exist because they're hard to deal with because Power Blast and Blue Blast just don't interact with them at all. So yeah, Last Hope's just like, it's great against creatures. It's great in the mirror. Delver can't Power Blast it or Blue Blast it. So that's kind of where we landed. I tried GTA for a long time. I think that card's grossly underplayed in decks that are not Stoneforge Mystic decks, but it just wasn't good enough in our deck because we didn't have any true name nemesis. But if you're playing Legacy, that's something I would experiment with is uh, GTA. I think that okay. Really uh, one last thing I had, you had the one Toxic Deluge in the main. Yeah. Um, coming into the event, were you expecting a lot of Death and Taxes and Elves? Or was that just, I have a flex slot and those are two of my bad matchups, so I might as well just shove a sideboard card and try to fill the 15th slot with another card? Um, 
Okay, bear with me for a sec because this might be a little bit of an interlude, but uh, I kind of want to explain this. So basically, uh, going into the tournament, me and Edgar had this big argument about preordained versus ponder. Like we'd seen some, and this is related to the deluge thing, don't worry. But basically, we we had this argument about preordained versus ponder because we'd seen some four-color decks playing preordained. So it's complicated, but basically we ended up feeling like if you're going to play a control deck in such a wide open format with so many powerful um, linear strategies, you wanted to be able to find uh, powerful interactive cards in game one. So that's why we have multiple copies of Diabolic Edict. That's why we have uh, an abrupt decay to interact with like, you know, game one, Last Hope or game one, Sylvan Library. And that's why I have the, the Deluge because when you have a card like Ponder in your deck, you want to be able to find those one ofs and two ofs that are going to break games open, like Diabolic Eating and Merit Lage. Uh, those kinds of things are, you need access to them to win games and matches specifically in this format. So once we decided we wanted to play Ponder, I wanted to play uh, the, like this kind of package where we have all these one ups. And uh, it was actually a lot worse than this <laughs> going into the GP. I had like a true name in my main deck, I was like on one Jace. And uh, I had a, a Power Blast in my main deck. And uh, we tightened it up a little bit, but uh, I do think it was one of the more powerful parts about the deck was there were just so many ways to uh, get out from tight spots in game one. So uh, that's why I ended up on the Deluge. That's why there's a random edicts in our deck. But uh, it, 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 it was all a plan. It all came together. Yeah, P- Ponder and Brainstorm uh, really... What they do to legacy and legacy deck building is they make your one ofs matter so much more than they do in any other format. Because you're able to like look through like twelve cards in a normal game trying to find your one of. In the in the early turns, you're able to look through like that many cards on a pretty frequent basis. Yeah. So the one ofs just do so much more work in this format. It's it's incredible compared to like standard when you have a one of, and like you're looking to draw it maybe like once every couple couple games and you really need it but in legacy you can almost consistently find your one-ups because you'll see so many cards in your deck yeah yeah if you've stabilized like you you have a lot of turns to find those kinds of cards and it's like super powerful to have access to them just for them to be there or whatever yeah i agree so uh we're gonna move on to the next topic uh we're gonna talk about derek's favorite format modern Oh, yes. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, GP Hartford, some preparation uh, that uh, Keith and myself have been doing because I know Keith's going to be playing in that tournament and I am as well. And Derek will be sitting at home complaining about it, I'm sure. On Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. <laughs> complaining on Twitter is Derek's niche. Yeah. He's got that market cornered. He's mastered. <laughs> so um, I wanted to get your thoughts, Keith, because uh, I have some thoughts on it as well. Like where the current mo- modern format is moving towards these uh the two best decks uh, i think it's pretty fair to say are the two most played decks is humans and the hollow one and they're really really fast decks and humans is a little slower but it's way more disruptive so what do you think how do you prey on these decks and like what's your uh, testing looking like for the format and for the gp well um if anybody knows me, uh, they'll know that I want to play Tarmogoyf, Liliana, and Dark Confidon in all of my decks. So uh, my my first sentiment is that this testing is going to be dire for me because I think uh, against those against humans in Hollow One specifically, and the fact that Tron is such a big part of the metagame, 
these fair strategies are incredibly difficult to, to build. But I think the way modern shaped up right now is that like, it's really pushing your, uh, pushing your deck building to be on point. Like trying to interact with a deck like hollow one is absolutely frustrating. Like to all ends, like trying to beat turn one, four, four or turn one, double four, four is just so frustrating. I think, first of all, I think Owen, uh, Owen wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. He was, he was talking about Jund and he ended up like talking about how hollow one, a, one, a, a way to beat hollow one is to prey on them, making you discard cards. Uh, so you can, you can do things like put ancient grudge in your sideboard, put obstinate ballot in your sideboard, play locks on smiter decks, like that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing that I've had success with in, in short doses is Leyline of the void because uh, they're obviously a super graveyard centric deck, but uh, you get to keep your ley line, obviously, if you have it in your opening hand. So that's like a way to get up, get by the fact that it, it's they're so fast that it's not always easy to find your the, your interaction. But I mean, I just took a look at uh, like face to face games hosted a uh, uh, and a classic in North Bay this weekend, and I just took a look at the list there, and it's crawling with humans as well. So I mean, it's it's a uh, it's treacherous waters out there. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird spot, and I like your the way you expressed uh, Hollow One. It is frustrating, and because you can have graveyard hate, and the thing is, it doesn't matter against some of their best draws. Like there are two Hollow Ones on turn one, and Hollow One dodges most of the the premier removal in the format. Like it dodges Lightning Bolt and Fatal Push, which are likely the two best removal spells in the format. It doesn't dodge Path, yeah. but at the same time. Path is not what you want to have to do on turn one against any deck, even a deck like Hollow One, which uh, it does have some card disadvantage built into the the looting effects. Yeah, you don't you don't want to ramp this deck. You don't want to power out like a fast Gurmag Angler because you had to mm-hmm. pass the the Hollow One on turn one. So the deck is the deck is something, and I like the idea of Ancient Grudges. Yeah. Because obviously, I think it, you should be boarding them in anyway, and the fact that it doesn't matter if you discard them. Yeah, is super good. That's a good way to attack that. But it's, attacking humans seems like a different different kind of frustrating task because their their cards are able to stop most things that you're trying to do, and they're very fast. And like th- they they've if you stumble against humans, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. How, how have you found the Jund versus humans matchup? Because this is one where I've heard a lot of differing opinions, and people seem to be confident in both directions. Just wanted to hear from you. Yeah, I think uh, first of all, I think that humans being humans and hollow ones being the two two pillars is is like it adds to that frustration because like if you're trying to beat hollow one, you're like okay, I'll just I'll go linear and I'll beat them. Like I'll, I'll play something faster or something that goes over the top. And I think humans is good against almost all of those decks, uh, so that can be frustrating. Uh, John versus humans specifically, I think. Jun players grossly overrate the matchup because they like just look at their deck and see like 15 removal spells or whatever, and they think that they're going to win. But I mean, the, the 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 reality is is that like most aggressive decks, you need to like fight back with aggression. Like uh, you, you can't play those matchups like you're a control deck because you're just going to get run over, or that you're gonna you're gonna end up on two fatal pushes, and they're going to name fatal push with like metal image, and you're going to die. So I think uh, I think there's a, a couple things you can do. You can overload on rafts, which I'm never a huge fan of because I think things like damnation, you want to play in, you know, small doses and things like anger. They can outsize sometimes. 
So I think uh, finding the correct uh, sort of configuration of aggression and um, sort of mixing up your removal suite to uh, to dodge their meddling mages is kind of where you want to be. Like uh, I think playing something like a main deck Grim Lava Mancer right now is a pretty it's a pretty low cost. It's a powerful card that uh, is very good in in very specific matchups, and it's very hard for humans to interact with, especially in game one. So I think that's a, a place you could start. But I think the first thing you should be doing is just trying to lower your curve. Take Terminate out of your deck. That card, that card is awful right now. Honestly, terrible. Uh, and uh, just try to try to come up with some unique plans. Like, really have a plan. Don't don't just assume that because you have ten removal spells in your deck, you're going to beat humans because you won't. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I, I like the idea of Grim Lava Mancer because a turn one Lava Mancer is just actually very good against uh, humans. Yeah, yeah, and it's very hard. Lava- and Lava Mancer in combination with uh, the other spells in your deck can hopefully keep Hollow One in check. Yeah. So I think Lava Mancer might actually be a really good spot. I, it's not something that I considered in the main deck because I always just felt like a cyborg card out of gen. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good idea. So where my modern testing has led me down is I was going to register Jun for this tournament because I picked it up and top aided a face open that I had no business top aiding with a bad Jund list. And I was like, well, if Jund's this good, I'm just going to keep playing it. Yeah, and then right. I start looking at all these fields, and I'm just like, is, is Bloodbird Health bad right now? <laughs> so I start thinking about it, and I decided that I wanted to have some Rast-type stuff in my deck, and I also wanted to be good against the people still playing Jund. Yeah. So I actually decided on an old favorite of mine, uh, Bring to Light Scape Shift. Uh, that's actually what I'm going to be playing at the tournament. And I played it, I think, a year or two ago. And I, I top aided the WMCQ that uh, Felix won. Yeah, I remember that. And I think it's actually well positioned right now, and it might just actually be a good deck this time. I don't think it was actually that good last time, right. but, but but I thought my experience and the the silver bullets I was playing were right for that tournament. Yeah. But I think right now what I've noticed is that the Hollow One decks are kind of cold to Madcap experiment. Sure. Like virtually cold, they have they have to really yeah, put together most of their stuff, yeah, yeah, to kill it. And so I've actually went like six and zero against that matchup on Magic Online just by playing a Madcap experiment in my deck. Yeah, and a lot of the green version of the Hollow One deck is uh, popping up a lot, and that mm-hmm. deck's even more cold to Platinum Imperion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and what what I do gain against the human decks is that you get like uh, you get Wraths mm-hmm. and you have some ramp to hopefully weed out Thalia a little bit. I still think the humans matchup might be sort of uh, bad. I think it's in the negatives, but I don't think it's in the negatives by a lot. Right. And I, th- I think scapeshift as a strategy is, is pretty good. And I think Jace the Mind Sculptor really helps it out by giving it uh, a B plan in the main deck. I guess it's a C, a C plan because of Madcap Experiment. That's actually very good at helping you win and also just being able to win by itself because sometimes some decks are going to lock you out of being able to win with scapeshift right well i I was just going to say i think jace the mind sculptor really fits the strategy because you could play it a turn early too which is like the biggest swat against it is that it's a little slow yeah you got any input on jace the mind sculptor or modern no none I don't have anything to say about it. You don't it. want to talk about how badly you want to ban? No, I never said I wanted to ban. <laughs> that never happened. Can we talk about how Death Ray Shaman should be banned in Legacy? 
No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Are you sure you don't want to talk about that? <laughs> I mean, on the topic of, of bring to light scape shift, like, I actually do think, uh, I do think that's like a, a good assessment. Like I think, uh, I, I actually believe that Jerry on, uh, on it, on was talking today, or I think maybe before the GP about how he thought it was well positioned as well. And I think you bring up a good point about, uh, like bullet cards being particularly powerful and modern right now. Like it's, it's just the truth. Like whoever's going to succeed at this GP is going to be who, who finds the right sideboard cards for these, these like weird niche situations. And like the things that you're talking about, like Madcap experiment, I sent a Facebook message today to some, some friends of mine saying, how do I put in snaring bridge and Jund? like just crazy stuff, but like, you got to figure it out. Right. And I think, uh, I think figuring out, uh, how, how to, how to beat these matchups that are, we've like, we've addressed our complicated to beat, whether it's like, you know, mixing up your removal suite so you can handle artifacts as well as creatures playing things that are hyper efficient, like Liliana's defeat to, to kill gourmet anglers, that kind of thing. Um, is that's, what's going to win you this tournament is like figuring out how to, how to, how to beat the unbeatable. So I bring the light sound sweet. I mean, you can, you can play some, some wild stuff, some slaughter games, some timely reinforcements, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah actually, so I listened to the, that episode of the GAM podcast this morning at, at my placement, and I was like, oh, all right, all right. Maybe yeah. I'm not so crazy. <laughs> and, uh, I think uh, I've heard a long-lost tale of Kale Thompson once playing Madcap Experiment in the sideboard of his Jun deck, so it could be done. That sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... All right. So, on the topic of Ajund and Bloodbird Elf, is I've heard a lot of noise about people uh, saying claims on Twitter that Bloodbird Elf is not good right now. You shouldn't be playing it. Yeah. How many are you going to play in your deck? If I register Jund at in Hartford, I'll play four Bloodbird Elves. But that doesn't mean that people are wrong. I just don't think that I I don't think I would register Jund if I decided that Bloodbird Elf was bad. Because before Bloodbraid Elf was unbanned, I wouldn't have registered Jund, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think the red was really worth it prior to Bloodbraid Elf being unbanned, despite the fact that I think Coligan's Command is, uh, is, a, is an extremely powerful card. Like, for example, if you wanted to cut Bloodbraid Elf from your, uh, from your Jund deck, you could, you know, move into something like, uh, just like the straight black green deck. If you want to interact with lands more and play, you know, your Field of Ruins, your Ghost Quarters, you could play Abzan. Or you can play Mardu Pyromancer. Like that's a that's a a deck that plays a lot like traditional Abzan, but it's just kind of sort of hyper efficient because of the faceless looting engine. So I mean, if I register Jund, which I mean, if I'm being honest, I probably will. I will definitely be playing Bloodbraid Elf because I don't think that Jund is was good prior to Bloodbraid Elf, and I don't think that it is without Bloodbraid Elf right now. You you don't think slimming down on copies of it? will will help or it's just not something you're interested in because you always want to make sure you draw one it's just one of those things where like i'm not worried i'm not necessarily worried about being able to i'm not worried about bloodbraid elf being poorly positioned like i still after if if i result like if i have a turn zero ley line against hollow one and they hollow one me i still want to be able to like bloodbraid kill your hollow like I, i still want to be able to turn the corner, because that's what John's best at. Like, if you lay all the Black Green decks out beside each other, you know, like, Abzan has the best staying power. Black Green has the best way to uh, interact with lands and has the most consistent mana base. John turns the corner better than any deck. And if you're trying to beat these linear strategies, Blood Red Elf is the way to do it. You, you want to you 
interact with them until turn five and then turn the quarter, activate Raging Ravine, attack them with a Bloodbraid and a Raging Ravine for seven. And, and Bloodbraid does that better than almost any card like that John's ever had. So I, I don't, I don't really want, I don't really want to be doing that. I, I, I get where people are coming from, but I think instead of cutting things like Bloodbraid Elf, which legitimize your strategy, you should be trying to figure out ways that you can change the cards in your deck. Like, for example, uh, like I said earlier with Terminate, I think Terminate is quite poorly positioned. The cards that Terminate interact with either come out too, too early to matter or uh, just don't exist that much in the format anymore. Like, I want to be able to interact for one mana and then I want to be able to play a trump card like Bloodbraid on four. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would work on figuring out your other slots, not your Bloodbraid else. Like, for example, again, like I've seen... Uh, seen a lot of Jun lists with one Coligan's Command in them, and I think, I think if you're thinking about cutting Bloodbraid Elf and you have one Coligan's Command in your deck, you should, uh, you should reevaluate the power level of that card. So if you're, if you're cutting Terminate from your deck, how are you... What's your plan to kill the Hollow Ones, other than Liliana? Uh, well, I'm going to play... I think if I were to play Jund, I'd play a minimum three Coligan's Command, which is a way to interact with, Col- with uh, Hollow One in Game 1. I would play Maelstrom Pulse, which I've always been high on, and I would I would like lean on Liliana, of course. Like another thing that you can do, and this is this is something that I've always been an advocate for with Jund, is that your creatures can outsize. And I think uh, if if people go back, or you know, if you remember Reed Duke playing in the Modern Pro Tour, I think the reason why he was able to have a success with a deck that almost nobody else had success with is because he played it in an aggressive way. Like uh, when he was playing his humans matchups. He was always trying to say, when can I start attacking? My Tarmogoyfs are bigger than their creatures. How can I, how can I make this a proactive deck? And I think uh, that's the way that you approach Hollow One as well. You, do not, you don't try to control the board. You try to kill their first threat. Um, maybe end-step maybe Coligan's command your, your, uh, your Hollow One and then just try to send. Like, honestly, just get in there. Like, that's, how Jund, that's when Jund is at its best, when you have your, your opponent on the back foot. And the quicker you can get them on the back foot, the better. So. That that would be that would be how I'd be playing it. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on a a card like Dismember, which kind of solves the issue of being able to kill Hollow One, but is also fast? Yeah, I think I think that's a that's like a powerful option. I would I, I would honestly much rather have a Dismember in my deck than a than a Terminate. I think that's that's like smart. Uh, that's exactly why I'm trying things like uh, trying things like a Braid. A Braid kills a bunch of things in humans, also kills Hollow One. Trying things like uh, I Liliana's defeat. I, I want to kill Gourmet Angler, and I want to kill. I want to kill Liliana's in the mirror. Like uh, th- that's what I mean by trying to find these unique things that are almost modal in modern. Because sometimes in modern, you, you find a trend. You're like, oh wow, a lot of people are playing artifacts this weekend. Like how maybe Coligan's command is just great. There's a bunch of X twos and artifacts. Like maybe that's maybe that's where I want to be. Right. And that's what makes these mid range decks good. Is like when you can find those cards that uh, that fill out the list properly. So uh, I have a question for Derek. Yeah. Derek, where are all the Jace the Mind Sculptors? Where are they? Uh, they are too expensive. So people are either not buying them um, because they, uh, they cost too much or they, uh, they've sold them because the Jace bubble is very, very bubbly right now. So they, they actually just can't play them at the event because they don't own any. Um, they're trying to buy Scarab Gods for their standard decks, the most, <laughs> much more superior format. 
that's that's it. That's that's where they are. So, so if Jace the Mind Sculptor was twenty dollars, would it be already banned? Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, of course. That's exactly <laughs> what you said. How much does Death Ray Shaman cost? It's on the ban list, right? It's going to get banned next. Probably cost like what ten dollars? Yeah, you can ban that card. Let me let me look this up. <laughs> right, Shaman. I remember when this card was legal in Modern. Oh, what a fun format that! Yeah, Death Ray Shaman is only five dollars. So if they ban that. It's not that bad, right? Like duels are like what two k each. So like, <laughs> what a, like, why why not just ban this five dollar card? There's nothing lost there. When you ban Jace, like I just spent six hundred dollars on these Jaces, you know, like what am I going to do now? Can't have that, can ya? Got to think about the casuals. <laughs> All right, Derek. Uh, we're we're gonna pivot into uh, your favorite format, standard. Something a little more uh, easy for you to understand. It's, it's my really small brain. It's like <laughs> my pea uh, brain. Yeah, it's like intro deck standard, regular standard, modern legacy, and then biggest galaxy brain is limited. Obviously, <laughs> I'm sure you just want to play challenger deck standard. Oh, I'd love to. You know, then I can complain about getting really unlucky when I only have one of mythics in my deck. <laughs> my one has it. Yeah, like my opponent drew it and I didn't. What's up? <laughs> Well, if there's anything you can do better than anyone, it's complain about being unlucky. I'm pretty good at complaining about complaining, too. <laughs> someone, uh, someone at my local game store bought one of the, the red Challenger decks, the Hazard Aggro. And uh, unfortunately, when they opened it, they realized that it was missing a card. It was missing a mountain and instead had a second Chandra Torch of Defiance. Wow. <laughs> Lucky. Can you imagine they had to go buy a mountain? Nice. Imagine being so like like that's, that's so unjustified. Like you're buying the mono red deck and you get a bonus surprise. No justice in the world. So speaking of mono red, mono red just went eighteen and O in the standard portion of GP Seattle. A deck that I, myself, and I believe, Derek, you have as well, had written off, had basically thought it was unplayable in its current form. But in its current form, it went 18-0. and 0. What happened, Derek? Uh, I think we, uh, I mentioned this last week, and I think this has been a, a pattern for a while now. Um, people look at Moto results and don't really identify data correctly. Um, I, I recently listened to the, the GAM podcast, uh, what's greatness at any cost, I think is what they called it. Uh, at some point in the podcast, they, they talked about using their time correctly, um, in compared to like life and magic. And one of the things they mentioned in doing that was making sure that you have good practice and you're using the most efficient amount of your time. Um, I think people either don't identify like they, they try to be too efficient and they look at data incorrectly or they're not efficient enough. And the, the, the actual testing they're doing is not proper testing. Um, and they come to conclusions like, Oh, mono red's still good or blue black mid range is good. Uh, if you look at the top 24 decks, like there's not a lot of those decks hanging out. There's a lot of blue red, uh, blue red God Pharaoh's gift, which has shown up a, a little bit in the last two weeks on moto but for the most part hadn't been in the format for the past couple months because everybody was ready for the, the graveyard decks already. Right. 
Um, once everybody started realizing, realizing that blue black was good, they focused on that, but they forgot about these other decks. I think uh, this standard format is a lot like modern right now. It's very metagameable, and if you are very uh, proficient with your deck, you can win Engoedo in a Grand Prix, um, and you can sort of catch people by surprise if you if they aren't ready for it. I just think this GP is the anomaly on what standard actually is right now. Uh, kind of like when the Green Red Monsters deck won the Grand Prix a couple months ago. So, so is Mono Red good? Was it always good? Is everything good? I, I want to go on the record and say that every deck in this format's garbage. It's unplayable. <laughs> you don't think that blue red deck's good? No. What are you talking about? What? <laughs> what? How do you come up with this? How do you come up with this? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, it, I, it, I did, mean... it did dominate the GP deck with uh, pretty incredible results, but I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how many people knew about that deck before this weekend? I mean, you definitely did. I did. I don't did, know. You, like, did you write it off? I wrote it off. I, I wrote it off. And wrote it off. I wrote it yeah, off. I mean, it's okay to write it off. No, nobody's like, there's nothing wrong with writing it off, right? Like, uh, it, it's very hard to to uh, wrap your head around Godfrey's gift being good in a format with a, a braid. Like, I, I've done that every single time someone's told me Godfrey's gift is good. Like, even after Owen and and all those people played it in the mocks, I was like, well, you just play a braid and it's fine. But I mean. We saw on camera people play against four X of braid decks with that blue red deck and just and beat them like all weekend. Like it, it was. Yeah, it was yeah, the, this is like what I'm saying, right? Like a month and a half ago, people were writing off Snake, and then Snake goes and eightos a PTQ online by Pat Cox and finishes second. Um, and then you have the blue black deck uh, in the, the mid range shell, um, sort of be tuned by Matt Folks and. People are saying, oh, the control version is better, or like Model Red's the best deck. And then you have people tuning it to make it so it's better and better every single week. Uh, I think that people are, like I said, they're not testing properly. They're, they're writing off decks. Like if I went to the standard Grand Prix this weekend, I would have wrote, wrote off that blue red God Pharaoh's gift deck. Because, like you said, there's four braids in these Model Red decks 75. Yeah, yeah. But if we look at the actual concentrated data, I think that A, these Blu-ray decks weren't getting checked enough for these, uh, these like, uh, answers. Like, people weren't abrading properly enough, or not enough people were playing abrades, or they were dodging those mono-red decks. Um, it, it just seems to me like it slips through cracks. Like, I don't think the deck's very good at all. Sure, okay. I, I think, like, I think what you're saying makes sense. I think it makes sense to say that, like, it's just another standard deck, right? Like standard always rotates. That's the thing that like, that's the thing that a lot of people like about standard is that obviously we're going to be able to adapt and, and find a way to, to beat this, this blue red deck with, you know, the mid range decks and the aggro decks or whatever. But I mean, I think it's definitely part of the metagame now. Like, I don't think that it's just going to go away just like snake, right? Like snake, uh, people wrote off snake and then snake ate the, the, ate the, the PTQ or whatever. And like, it didn't go away. But it's still like it's still a part of the metagame. It's not the best deck like it was that day. Just like this blue red deck is never going to be as good as it was this weekend. But now we have to figure out a way to play against it. Like maybe now we can't play blue black mid range. Maybe now we have to play Grixis mid range because we need a break because of, because this is a a real player in the format. So like I agree with you that standard rotates, but I don't I don't think you can like I don't think you can say that this deck is bad. 
Well, I, like, I don't think you can justifiably say that it's good if it's only good in a certain metagame. Because that doesn't make sense. Okay. That makes sense, man. How, like, how, how, do you, how do you justify that a deck is good if it, like... Because it's clearly good in a vacuum, right? Like, it's powerful. What it does is powerful. Like, well, so is, so is blue-black, though. And we just agreed that blue-black might not be the deck to play going forward. Right, but that doesn't—it like, it doesn't mean it's not good. It means that it's it, like there's a positioning problem here. We need to have a Braden in our deck, so we're going to put a Braden in our deck and play and play Grixis. Like that's just the way standard works. It doesn't mean any of these decks aren't good. And so, this, uh, this blue red deck definitely showed that it's powerful enough to compete. It's definitely it, it, on camera, and from what I've seen from standard, it looked more busted than anything else that's going on in the format. And this is a format with both the Scarab God and Hazret. At what point do you stop playing a deck then? At what point do you judge, like, hey, I don't think this deck's good this weekend? Like, I would have not taken this blue-red deck to the tournament because I knew that people would be playing black-red mid-range, or black-red mid-range, black-red aggro as a new innovation for mono-red, or even mono-red with scavenger grounds. Uh, At at what point do you just blindly say, I'm going to play this blue-red deck? Like, how can you consciously make that decision going forward, knowing that well, that's, that's the, cha- that's the challenging part, right? Like it's, 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 it's really hard. That's why magic's hard. Like all these things <laughs> fluctuate so much. You gotta like having, knowing when to do, when to pull the trigger is like such, such a hard part about magic. And like, but that's why this is so sweet that this far into a, a format, clearly this deck showed up and was super powerful and, and caught everybody off guard. Like that's, that's one of the coolest things about the game. So would you say the deck's good because it caught everybody off guard or it's good because it's inherently powerful? Both. <laughs> I think that's exactly the point I've made is that both of those things are true. Okay. So is this standard format a very good standard format then? Because it's, all, it's always changing and there's no current, there's just no best deck. I kind of hate it. I don't like the standard format right now. Um, I really like Teamer. It felt like my actions and decisions and deck building constantly had um, an outcome. Like, if I put Supreme Will in my deck this weekend, it would mean something. Uh, if I was playing three Glorybringer, four Glorybringer, if I was playing three Scarab God, my mana base, it all mattered, right? Uh, I don't know. It seems to me like you can show up with Blue Red. God Pharaoh's gift this weekend and next weekend show up with it and just get crushed. Uh, even though you might be the best player in the world with it. Uh, I, I, I don't like that. That's why I don't play modern as much. So what would you play if you had a tournament this weekend, Derek? I'm playing tokens online right now. Um, there's, I played three leagues with uh, snake and then I played a league with blue black and I probably played mono red three out of five times, and then I played at least the Blue-Red Godfrey's Gift a couple times, and you need an answer to Godfrey's Gift, and you need to not get run over by turn four. I find the Vampire's deck or the Tokens deck does that pretty well right now, or you need a really proactive sideboard plan and need to be able to make sure that you don't just get run over on the draw against those two decks, um, which a lot of decks in the format, just that happens right now. So are you playing the mono white token deck, green white token, or black white? Which one? Playing Abzan. Ooh. Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, Keith, what would you play after uh, the blue red menace has been unleashed? Um. Well, I mean, like I said before, I'm obviously a, a mid range player at heart. Like I'd probably try to make Grixis work. Uh, 
it'd be interesting to try to like work on these blue black decks. Like I like the blue black deck a lot. It'd be interesting to try to like, you know, turn your field of ruins into scavenger grounds or whatever and see where you could get with that. But, uh, you know, I'd definitely be packing a braids. That's for sure. But, uh, I actually, yeah, I, I think I would just play Grixis, but I, I'm certainly not the standard expert here. Like, like I, I do, uh, I do think that, I think that, uh, I think that the, this token strategy seems like, you know, somewhere you might want to be, uh, but yeah, I think I think I would play Grixis, but I'm definitely not. I'm not. I, I wouldn't like stake my reputation on uh, that decision. So Derek, is the Scarab God bad now? Is is our our Lord and Savior, the Scarabian fellow, no longer <laughs> good? No, I, I think I made this. Uh, I think I made this statement last week that um, the format has shifted to play Scarab God or beat Scarab God, and in order to beat Scarab God, you have to be extremely linear and try to get over or get under the Scarab God. Um, the decks that are trying to go over top of it are just getting outclassed by Scarab God or Torrential Gear Hulk. And that's why we see Mono Red and Blue Red, God Pharaoh's Gift this week, uh, crush the field because people weren't ready um, and people were trying to play big, trying to play Colossipede. And Colossipede's not good when you're dead on turn four. Hot take. Nice. <laughs> very hot take, very hot. Scalding. Philosophy uh, not good when they get four combat steps. Confirmed. <laughs> so um I actually wanted to ask uh, you guys a weird question cuz uh I'm the host now so I can do whatever I want. Uh have I wanted to ask have you ever went undefeated in an entire tournament? We'll start with you Keith and and what happened? Uh well, if uh I don't win very much, uh, but yeah, I think so. I, I oh yes, I uh, I went undefeated in an entire in an entire PPTQ. There you go, with uh with Traverse Death Shadow, my favorite deck ever. That's gas. Yeah, Derek, lay it on me. Um, no, like I've gone undefeated at F and M and like pre-release, but, like never anything. Big, like I've never. The one time I almost went undefeated at a PTQ, I lost the last round to Omar. Uh, I was four o two, and yeah, no, nothing ever else big. Like it's very hard to go undefeated, right? In anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can only think of one instance where, like, a real tournament, I went undefeated the entire tournament, and that was at the the old Sunday Super Series, like uh, qualifiers. Uh, I was playing standard, and I was playing a, a genius Glenn McElwin deck, the green-black mutilate. And I just remember I, I went 7-0, and then I drew the last round, and then just 3-0'd a draft after, which those those events were just so bizarre. But I remember just, there's nothing quite like leaving an event having won all the rounds. It just yeah. It just feels a little bit perfect. Yeah. And it's pretty cool to me to see the guy go 18-0, no draws, hurt some feelings along the way. But yeah. I think what he did is, is something really cool, and you can't take that away from him, and I don't blame him for one second now that it's all come to fruition where he's, he's got this cool thing that you can't take away from him. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's sure, really huh? cool. It's really cool. It's like a, a little history point in Magic. Like the guy who didn't draw, didn't scoop his friend in, just went and 
took this accolade for himself that you'll yeah. never be able to take away. Yeah, it's certainly a testament to like uh, how unique the game is and like how awesome these GPs are because like so- something new like that happening after twenty years or whatever is just. I mean, it, it was, it's cool to see. Like, it was cool to cool to watch, and uh, he obviously played great. And Hazaret reigned supreme. So yeah, you can't you can't help but like feel like everyone was sort of rooting for him. Yeah, yeah. Everyone just wants to like be a part of history, even if it's something that they're just watching, right? Yeah. So seeing seeing it finally happen was a uh, at least from a viewing experience something that'll stick through my head when I think back to about uh, the double GP Seattle. Yeah, for sure. All right. So from here, I think we're gonna go to our spoiler cards. Nice. So, Car Young Tom, if you could uh, from the grave, <laughs> perhaps bring up uh, one of our spoilers. And then uh, we can kind of talk about uh, what we think about the card and uh, what, wh- where and when we think it is good. Okay. I, oh, there it is. Nice. All right. So these uh, are oh. our two cards. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are two cards that uh, were leaked during uh, the big Dominaria leak. But uh, we get to see the art on them. Which honestly, both of them have uh, incredible pieces of art. If uh, if we'll get to see it, and uh, so we've seen Warcry Phoenix. I'll talk about that one first. It's the, it's three and a red, uh, a flying haste two two. That whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may pay two and a red. If you do, return Warcry Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. Uh, what do you guys think uh, about that card? For constructed, is there is there any implications, Derek? No, I think the card's pretty uh, pretty bad. Um, we already have Rekindling Phoenix, and it's a four three that doesn't have a clause need to be like a, high, a very high clause that needs to be met in order for it to come back. Um, like it has a bit more of a mana restriction in double red, but I feel like you're playing that card in an aggro red deck anyway, so the mana restriction isn't that high. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem very good for Constructed. Not what I want to be doing, really, on 4 mana at all. So. Keith, do you have any Warcry Phoenix decks brewing? Uh, I, I mean, it pains me to agree with Derek, but <laughs> I will, I, I, I have can to... I, can I get that recorded? Can we clip <laughs> that? It is literally recorded, Derek. It is? <laughs> literally? It, I mean, honestly, if, if it, uh, if it hit harder, like, it could be worth building around, but it, it just doesn't hit that hard. It's just, it's still a two, two. So, I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just not even really aggressive. So my, my feeling about the card was that like, it was one point off in so many different directions from being a very good card. So like yeah. if it cost one less mana, if it was a three, two, if it costs just red to bring back, like it's, it doesn't scream constructed to me, but it does look like it's very good and limited. Like if there's a good red beatdown deck, this is probably going to be one of your better cards. Because oh, yeah. I don't agree with that. I don't know. I probably wouldn't first pick that card. Sure, you don't have to first pick it, but it's it's certainly it's got to be good. Like so, its body it's itself. I mean, four four two four, uh, four mana two two haste flyer. Is that would that make your deck unlimited? Almost every time. 
Yes, it would make my deck. It would be like the the 15th card, though. Yeah, there, there are a lot of cards in this format that I would take over it. Sure, but I, I, maybe like maybe it's not a slam dunk. But I mean, in, in the in the in your beatdown deck, like I mean, it's obviously a good card. Like recursive threats are good and limited, right? Yeah, sure. I, I find this format based on just looking at it. Like we look at the Black Blader Forge right next to it. It's very high synergy, right? Um, in this format, this card has high synergy with attacking. But for the most part, you want legendary permanents and legendary spells. This card doesn't meet either of those um, like checkboxes, and it's only a two-two flyer, right? So it gets outclassed pretty quickly. If they um, if you if they print something like Giant Spider, it's just worse than Giant Spider, even if you're attacking with it. So the red decks have to be very very fast and aggressive. And if yeah. that's true, then the format's probably pretty fast. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like a lot has to go right for this card to be within my top like picks on by like pick six or something. Right. Otherwise, like it falls into your deck. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that I'm going to pick it over like some Terminator or whatever, but I am just saying that if you're beating down, which I mean, most formats have a beat down deck that it's like a fine card down in your deck. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to be a really good role player in limited decks. It has evasion and it's good against one of the best things you can have unlimited, which is removal. So its floor is pretty, pretty high. For, for a card unlimited and its ceiling is that you might be able to bring back this thing a couple times like and I don't know what more you want out of your your cards unlimited but I want two for ones I love two for ones I this want is a two for man. one this card doesn't die Derek <laughs> Where, okay. did you read it I can't read <laughs> that explains a lot about my experiences with you <laughs> <laughs> haven't you right. heard like i only watch videos and listen to things i don't read uh i think uh <laughs> there goes our card but i think it. i think our next card is actually uh a little bit uh has a little more implications so so this card is called the black bay a black bla- i knew i was gonna mess this up black blade reforged so it's a uh, two generic mana it's a legendary artifact equipment. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each land you control. And uh, it equips to a legendary creature for three mana and to any creature for seven mana. So this card, if there is a good legendary beatdown deck, this is a, a hell of an equipment. Like It's going to give you like plus four, plus four, plus five, plus five. It just depends how relevant that is. And I think in order for this card to be constructed playable, it's got to be f- full of legendary creatures. You know, you don't want to pay seven. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you think, Derek? If, if there's enough legendary creatures, do you think that this uh, card has a home? I think this card's broken. I think this card is like equipment uh, normally doesn't make a constructed deck unless it's busted. And I think this is one of the cards, like the equipment that would make a constructed deck, as long as there aren't, like, if when, maybe when a braid rotates out. Because, um, like, you, you can't really play, like, I guess, I guess I'm kind of, like, making uh, a fallacy, a not real statement, because we just talked about Godfrey's gift being good with a braid in the format. But, uh, I don't know, I just find, like, playing artifacts that don't have immediate impact on the board like Beaumont Courier, um, when a braids in the format is just not very good. But 
if you yeah like if you have like random legendary creatures like yeah like shove this in your deck same thing with limited like they're printing legendary creatures at uncommon now which is just like kind of insane so i think this card is definitely first pickable in limited and like it's colorless so you can just shove whatever deck you want and it, it will probably see playing constructed it's probably better than hollowed one was in standard <laughs> which is the last uh, preview card. So, Keith, lay it on me. Constructed playable? Uh, I think it's complicated. Like, I mean, obviously, if if you have a legendary creature beatdown deck, the card is equipment's powerful, right? But I will say that legendary cre- creatures are very often not conducive to beating down. Number one, number two. Uh, obviously it's very hard to play legends in multiples, which is something that you often want to do in a beatdown deck. Like you want your play sets at the one, two and three spot. And number three, this is uh, a legendary permanent. So it's tough to put a lot of these in your deck. So it's hard to build around a card that you can't play a hundred of or whatever. Right. So I think it's the type of card that if it's good, it's busted. But if it's, if it's not busted, it's probably not constructive playable. That being said, I think it's worth considering uh, for some of the more like you know over the top legendary synergies, like this, this is just a two mana legendary card, right? So like like even if it's not good as an equipment, if you just want the text legendary permanent on the board, this costs two mana and does that, which is unique because most uh, most legends cost more than two mana just on principle, right? So it, I, it, there's upside. I just I wish it did something more than just made my my things bigger. But uh, it seems seems cool. I, I like the whole legend theme. It looks sweet. So hopefully we can see how it pans out. Yeah, there's that green-white legendary creature that just it costs green-white, and it's a, like a star-star equal to creatures you control. Mm-hmm. So if there's a, like a green-white shell, because those are the colors that tend to have cheap legendary creatures, Yeah, I think that's the, the closest place that this will come to having a home in Constructed. But... Uh, I think in limited this card it it fluctuates from being just the most obscenely powerful card in your deck to being like pretty anemic like equip 7 is a whole lot <laughs> that is a you're just not equipping this thing in a lot of your games yeah but uh if you have a lot of legendary creatures i guess i guess it gets it gets really good because uh Plus four, plus four, plus five, plus five is you just can't beat that in combat. Yeah, I mean, if if legends are uh, if that's like you know a real deck in, in in limited, which I mean, it seems like they're trying to make it. This card's definitely good. Like, I I, I think it's just like equipment's always good in limited, and if you have the legends to support it, it's definitely good. Or I mean, equipment efficient equipment is always good. In limited. I've never been wrong in my life, and this card is busted. <laughs> So if if you want to break the new standard format, play this card. All right, sick. Derek with the hottest. Derek uh, Derek wants two for ones in his limited deck, so he's just giving them to his opponent by slamming <laughs> this in every deck he plays. Yeah, I never said who I want to have two for ones. I just want there to be two for ones. <laughs> I guess I assume this card is tailor made for uh, the the new brawl format that uh, Watsi's trying to push, like the standard commander type thing, because oh, yeah. this card obviously would i would hope would be pretty good in a, in a format like that it, it can be your commander right that. you can play the sword as your commander i don't think that's how it works this i'm pretty sure that's how think, it works i don't think there's commanders in this format listen 
I play a lot of Commander. No, That's you don't. how it works. Now you're just lying on camera. <laughs> Why would I lie to you on camera? <laughs> he had me convinced for a moment that this could be his Commander, but I also didn't <laughs> All right. So I think... Uh, that's all we have uh, to talk about for this episode. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, Keith. I think you had a, a lot of great insight for, for our viewers, especially in a format legacy, which uh, some of the regular cast members, I don't think have as much experience as you do. So bringing in high knowledge guests, especially one as articulate as you was, was a really good thing to have for our show. And I, I do appreciate you coming on today. Sweet. Thank you. Um, you want me to like say, uh, Say where people can find me and stuff. Is that how this yeah. works? No. Well, I was going to no. say that, but where, where can people find you, Keith? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Keith Capstick. Uh, you can find me on manadeprived.com, writing some articles, editing some articles. We got, uh, if you're from Toronto, the, all the face to face games like Opens and, uh, and face to face games Toronto Showdown series, all the recaps go up there. Got some articles. I uh, got a legacy article by the one and only Matthew Gilks coming up. I'll write about this four color deck later this week. And then day to day, I work at uh, the Score Esports. I uh, write uh, write for them as well, so you can you can find me there and on YouTube with them. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> All right. Any parting words, Derek? Do you want to shout out Edgar? Maybe. Um, I just want to say that I. Uh... I listen to the greatness at any cost game podcast. And I feel like if, if you're a magic grinder, you need to listen to that podcast. Um, that episode specifically, uh, that's like the only thing that I have to say that I've done about magic this week is just listen to that podcast. Uh, everything else. Like I, I just realized that I hate standard and I'm probably quitting magic soon. So, you know, that's, that's what's up. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> things go good shout out shout out uh wonker uh you know he's he's in there yeah, there's, for... there's a, some real Derek <laughs> going on in the chat right now oh my uh, <laughs> as if i don't get it enough on twitter <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's all what right. happens when you ask me to be a guest man <laughs> listen all right if legacy wasn't so expensive i would just be better than everybody at legacy <laughs> that's what's up okay okay Okay, so watch yourself. Okay. All right. Well, th- thanks for everyone in the chat uh, participating, whether or whether or not you attacked Derek. Um, yeah, so I think this is the part where I'm supposed to thank our editors. I don't know any of your names. Thank you. And uh, thanks a lot to KYT's secret admirer, whomever you may be. Nice. <laughs> All right. That's it for the show. Uh, see you later. Bye. Bye.